Welcome back to Spoiler Free Wrestling, the podcast version. And we are running down all the news in the world of pro wrestling over the last week. And wrestling, wrestling had a real tough, tough end of May, let's say. T- tough middle of May to end of May. And it started two weeks ago with Shad Gaspard's death. Uh, it was first reported that he had disappeared from Marina Del Rey Beach after getting caught in a strong current. And unfortunately, about three days later, his body was discovered. Shad Gaspard was 39 years old. Then last weekend, um, Hanakamura died at 22 years of age under some really unfortunate circumstances and circumstances that hopefully won't be forgotten. And what I mean by that is hopefully how people interact with celebrities, be it wrestlers, other celebrities, how they interact with them online. Hopefully this changes that. And I'll give you a little bit of Inside baseball on how wrestling dirt sheets work. So you guys know I I uh, curate everything you see on SpoilerFreeWrestling.com. Many of you also know I, I write for SEScoops.com. And so basically the role for a lot of wrestling sites is you just want to make sure your site has all the news that's going on in the world of wrestling on there so that your readers, viewers, whoever can go on there and feel like they're getting completely caught up to date. And on spoiler-free wrestling, we omit anything which is going to spoil future angles, storylines, who's in line for a push, who's feuding with who, that kind of thing. We just omit that stuff. And that's what makes us unique. But involved in doing this work, there's a lot of scanning through social media. If there's a story out about, I don't know, Randy Orton, you want to get all the backstory of what's going on, and that's going to mean going to Randy Orton's Twitter page or his Instagram or whatever the heck he has. And on there, you will see comments that people make to these celebrities or wrestlers. And there's a lot of ridiculousness there. And... There are millions and millions of wrestling fans. I mean, there's millions of fans in the United States alone who are wrestling fans, let alone all around the world. And some people, well, I mean, you don't know what's going on with their lives. Perhaps they are dealing with things. Perhaps they have problems in their lives that somehow they're able to um, well, somehow makes it feel like living vicariously through a celebrity or um, getting a celebrity to like their tweets or respond to them is like a big deal for these people. And how they interact with celebrities online is very, it goes to the extremes. They love them and they hate them. And there's a lot of just wanting to get a response from these people. And I think this comes down to like 
wanting to know you've had an impact in some way on this big, larger than life figure that you see on TV. All of a sudden it puts you in that field as well, right? Like you're in the picture, you're interacting with uh, big TV stars and wrestlers. But a lot of this interaction is very negative. And if there's a celebrity that you see on TV and you're like, oh, I don't like that person, you know? Going on Twitter and, and saying something nasty to them, I think a lot of people see that as the same way as like honking their horn in the car at a driver they don't like or flipping them off or something. You, you, you feel like it's anonymous and you're disconnected from the person that's going to have a negative impact from it. And I think, unfortunately, what happened with Hana Kimura should make everyone aware that what you say on social media, much like if you flip somebody off in the car, I suppose, really does impact someone. And I also think that celebrities became celebrities in part, well, I mean, part in many cases, they became celebrities because they were super talented at something. But a lot of people pursue being a celebrity because they care a lot about what people think of them. And they want to be loved. They want to be wildly appreciated and loved. But when they get all these nasty messages from people who hate them, who think they suck, want to tell them that they think they suck, the impacts on them emotionally are very harsh, probably harsher than for someone who never wanted to be a celebrity in the first place. Like if, if you don't care what people think about you, you might not be a celebrity or choose to become a celebrity, or you might not be active on social media and you might not be reading these things, but there's a huge chunk of wrestlers who do care very much about the feedback that they're getting on social media and they get a lot of negative stuff. And hopefully what happened with Hana Kimura will change how people interact with celebrities and wrestlers online. And based on what I've seen from wrestlers interacting with each other on social media after this, this last week, after the, the tragedy occurred, there's more of an emphasis on them supporting each other and, and them learning to not be affected by the noise, be affected by the anonymous comments on Twitter, the anonymous comments on Facebook and all, all that jazz, you know? And often what I've seen is that the people sending hateful and, and negative messages are the same ones that will like the next week or the week before are sending like messages to the same person saying like how much they love them and stuff like that. So we're in a very weird period for celebrity. This weird period of social media where fans are learning they can interact with people they see on TV through social media, but we haven't really developed best practices for how those celebrities themselves should be dealing with this. And so hopefully what happened last week will be this big starting point for a new era 
on for how wrestling fans deal with wrestlers on social media. And so that was, you know, wrestling's terrible week last week. Um, and on top of that, we had the anniversary of Owen Hart's death. It's the um, 21st anniversary on May 20. He, it was May 23rd, 1999 at the over the edge pay-per-view in Kansas city at the Kemper arena when Owen Hart fell. Um, and then the season two finale of Dark Side of the Ring, which aired on May 21st, um, covered the, the tragedy surrounding Owen's fall and in many ways sort of opened up those wounds again. And we saw Martha Hart was doing a lot of interviews. And unfortunately, like even something as terrible as the Owen Hart tragedy has managed to get whittled down to this thing where there's two sides yelling at each other. And it seems like far too often with anything that happens, not just in wrestling, but in the world, issues somehow come down to, they, they get whittled down to this part that people can't agree on. And then the people fight about it. And so instead of having this period where we could at least relive a little bit of Owen Hart's career or celebrate that even while Owen Hart died way too young, I mean, robbed of more than half his life, that we could at least celebrate a little bit about the person that he was. But those discussions were so far down the list of what was being discussed. And and with Owen, it always comes down to people want him in the WWE Hall of Fame. And they're not happy with Martha Hart, who they feel is the one keeping Owen out of the, of the Hall of Fame. And, and, and she is. She is the one keeping him out of the Hall of Fame. Now, he is in plenty of professional wrestling Hall of Fames. He's in the Luthez Hall of Fame. He's in the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame in Wichita uh, Falls, Texas. And what she said in an interview is WWE's Hall of Fame isn't even a Hall of Fame. There's no physical location that you can go and see all the plaques on the wall. It's just a money-making event they have. That's what she, that's what she was saying. And one of the voices in sort of contrast to Martha that wants Owen in the Hall of Fame is Bret Hart. Bret Hart wants Owen Hart in the Hall of Fame. I don't know this, but I feel like they wanted all five of the Hart Foundation members from the 1997 angle to go in the Hall of Fame. Um, and just, you know, Brett and Neidhart ended up going in the last time they actually had an induction. So I just find it, it, it's sad that always with Owen, it comes down to that. Like we can never just go, God damn, Owen was funny. Or, or, or man, that, that rivalry he did with Bret Hart was one of the best of all time. And I do think that. I think the, the Owen Hart versus Bret Hart brother versus brother feud is one of the best angles WWE has ever done. Unfortunately, no other sibling rivalry in wrestling history has ever come close to feeling as real or as believable as the Owen and Bret Hart angle did. And I think that's all due to Owen. If Owen hadn't have been so good in that jealous little brother role, 
I don't know if, if that feud or Bret Hart's time on top of WWE would have gone as well as they did. But we never get to talk about that. We always talk about how he died or the debate over if he should be in the WWE Hall of Fame. I think that's sad. And that was part of wrestling's terrible May. And on top of that, of course, we're going through a global pandemic. And that's obvious. That's You, you can't get your mind away from that whenever you watch the shows. Because it, it's, it's clearly, you know, we're not watching wrestling shows in front of 10,000 fans anymore. Something's different. And that's a reminder that, hey, we're going through this crazy, surreal, world-altering time. And, he, and wrestling's not immune. As much, of, as, much as it is a, an escape from the real world, it's not immune from the real world. But WWE did take a, a, a step in the right direction this week in, in terms of the, the way the shows feel. And we'll get into to more of that. But anyways, that was wrestling's terrible week like last week and sort of I feel like a lot of what came out this week in wrestling news was people reacting to Shad Gaspard's passing, people reacting to Hana Kimura's passing. Um, and then still a lot about Owen Hart, you know, but let's, let's move past wrestling's terrible week for now and talk about some real positive things that have happened in the pro wrestling world in the last week. And we'll start that off with seven days ago from when I'm recording this now on Saturday night, AEW presented a fantastic pay-per-view. I mean, wrestling's entertainment, so it's subjective, but in my subjective opinion, this was fantastic. The AEW double or nothing show, first of all, and Cody mentioned this on dynamite on Wednesday. He said that the pay-per-view purchases are exceeding expectations. And that's sort of what has come out since is that they're trending 10 to 15% up from their last show, which is good considering the ratings are sort of going down at the same rate or had been going down at the same rate after the pandemic hit. But AEW Dynamite's last show is now up over 800,000. The pay-per-view is said to have done really well. And that's a very positive sign for wrestling during the pandemic. Every single wrestling company is going to be hurt at the gate. Even when, even when fans are allowed back in. Fans aren't going to be packing into arenas like they did before. There are going to be a lot of fans who are cautious. So to see a company like AEW succeeding in this fanless era where they're pulling their ratings back up to where they had been before and their pay-per-view purchases are exceeding what they had been before. I think that's a very positive sign. Unfortunately, there are some uh, negative signs. Monday Night Raw's ratings are dropping. They are really dropping. Um, they are at 1.7 million viewers for the last show, something maybe a little bit more than that. I mean, those are the, like Nitro in the end was beating those 
those numbers, you know? But then you look at WWE Raw right now. And you kind of go like, who's their big guy? Like, Becky Lynch is now gone for a while. Brock Lesnar is gone for who knows how long. Who are their top... Who are their top performers? It's not Becky. It's not Brock. It's Drew McIntyre, Seth Rollins. And nothing against Drew McIntyre and Seth Rollins, but I I think that's a little short in terms of star power in comparison to how Raw has been before. And even when you compare it to SmackDown, I mean, SmackDown, you've got Daniel Bryan, AJ Styles, you've got... Charlotte Flair, well, Charlotte Flair's on every every show now. Um, but it just seems like Raw is in this period where it, it's sort of in a down period. You know, MVP managing Bobby Lashley is your is your top heel, and he's moving into a program with Drew McIntyre. Like, like, okay, so let's take a look at the the backlash lineup from Raw. There's three big matches. You've got Drew McIntyre versus Bobby Lashley. It's like, okay, you know, I like Drew McIntyre as champion. I like Bobby Lashley as a challenger. But these are two guys who, before the pandemic, were nowhere near the main event scene. And maybe there was plenty. Oh, I mean, Drew McIntyre won the Royal Rumble, you know. Okay, so like before 2020, these guys weren't in the main event scene. And yeah, they had plans for Drew McIntyre to be there. But he's still a new guy in the main event scene in Raw, and he's going up against guys who weren't in the main event scene from Raw. I mean, he beat Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. I don't know. I'm just saying Drew McIntyre is not as big of a star as, say, you know, Becky Lynch was. And I, I think losing Becky Lynch is is hard for Raw, you know? She seemed like the most important part of the show. And then you've got Randy Orton versus Edge. And that seems to be existing sort of in its own universe a little bit. It's not connected to other things happening on Raw. And I mean, it's fine. And Asuka versus Nia Jax. It just, I don't know, feels like, it, it just feels like maybe Raw's at a, at a period where they need something big to happen. Something to kind of shake things up a little bit. And I'm not saying that necessarily means new stars or or whatever, but, well, for instance, Matt Riddle has left NXT. And he lost to Timothy Thatcher on NXT this week, and then a vignette for his debut appeared on SmackDown. And you just feel like, oh, I feel like Matt Riddle is far more needed on Raw than he is on SmackDown. In part because Raw is three hours, you've got three hours to kill, and it feels like those three hours would go a lot shorter if Matt Riddle made up some of that time. All right, but while we're talking about WWE, let's 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 compare Raw and SmackDown a little bit because if you look at the ratings, SmackDown is pulling away from Raw in in the ratings. SmackDown's getting a, a the ratings just came in for the Friday night episode. They got 2.1 million viewers. Raw's at 1.7, AEW's at 800,000, NXT, I don't know, is around 700,000, something like that. 
So if you want to rank the wrestling promotions based on their TV ratings, it goes SmackDown, Raw, AEW, NXT. And then you've got um, companies like MLW, Impact, Ring of Honor. Their shows don't cross the threshold to where we're getting ratings for them. So, I mean, that is one way you could do it. If you wanted to say, hey, what's the, the best wrestling company right now in North America? Or the best wrestling brand? It's SmackDown. More people are watching SmackDown than any other brand. Right? So the, the Universal Champion would therefore be the biggest cha- I'm not saying this is what makes sense in my head, but you could do it this way. There's more people watching SmackDown than any other wrestling promotion or wrestling show in the world. And they're bringing in about 400,000 more people at this point than Raw is. And Raw was the flagship. And now SmackDown's running away with it. And I kind of like comparing Raw and SmackDown. It's like Raw and SmackDown are in their own little rivalry and then AEW and NXT are in their own little rivalry. But I wouldn't count AEW out out, uh, just yet. If AEW goes on a run and they start bringing in a bunch more fans and Raw continues this trend of spiraling ratings, then eventually is AEW in, in the running for... Uh, to to kind of match WWE. This is, we've only had one year of AEW so far. One year. It's only like double or nothing last year was their first pay-per-view. And it feels like, it, like it feels like all in was their pay-per-view, but that was just Cody and Ring of Honor. It wasn't actually them. So after one year, I mean, AEW is right in the mix getting pay-per-view buys over 100,000. Which, I mean, you know, back in the day, 100,000 was not that many, but in the the new pay-per-view era, it ain't not bad. Uh, But looking at, just keeping with WWE, then there's some other stuff going on on SmackDown. So the big, so this is weird. I... Braun Strowman's going to defend the Universal Championship in a two-on-one handicap match versus The Miz and John Morrison at Backlash. And this is continuing this trend of WWE putting titles on the line in multi-per- in, in handicap matches. If you remember, Braun Strowman lost the Intercontinental Championship in a handicap match to Sami Zayn and Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura. And maybe that's why this match at Backlash is taking place, is the big drama is, okay, is Braun Strowman going to lose the title to either the the Miz or John Morrison? But it feels like that's a hard, hard match to sort of get excited about. It's hard to get excited about a title match that's, that's a handicap match. Maybe I'm alone in that, but I don't know that I am. And then next week on SmackDown, Bliss Cross, Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross are going to be taking on Sasha Banks and Bailey. And I don't know. I don't know about this. I, Sasha Banks, and I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but Bailey is on my fast forward list. And I never thought she would get, I, I thought Bailey and Sasha Banks, that they were great. But I've just fallen so far from being excited about anything that they're doing that Bailey's been on my fast forward list for like a month. 
Sasha Banks, I won't fast forward if she's wrestling. Um, but I don't know. I, I feel like some shaking up could be done with their act a little bit. Oh, and then the other thing on Raw, we got Seth Rollins is doing all this stuff with Rey Mysterio. So Seth Rollins and the Monday Night Messiah, like that's, that's sort of become this big angle. And if you think about it, it's all of this that they're doing with Seth Rollins is sort of a take on stuff that really happened. The fans, Seth Rollins was the top good guy on Raw and the fans completely turned on him. Which often happens with the best or the top good guy in the company. I mean, you look at the last two, John Cena and Roman Reigns. The fans turned on those guys as well. The fans did like John Cena early in his career. I know some people who maybe haven't been following wrestling as long will be like, what? No, fans liked John Cena. When John Cena started doing his rapping gimmick, where he would sort of like talk rap a promo about uh, his opponent, that would, people liked that. It was when John Cena became this true blue, very predictable, very two-dimensional, very PG uh, good guy character that the fans sort of saw this as, as insulting to their intelligence a little bit. And there's a reason why this always happens with WWE top baby faces. WWE um, needs to appeal in a way that's understandable to kids. And people being upset at WWE for being so youth-focused, or family-focused, they're family-focused. They, they appeal to kids and just enough to their parents, right? And the idea here is that you're creating like a sustainable, multi-generational fan base. Because if you create wrestling in a way that's digestible, kids like it, and then when they get older... And they sort of see the little tricks that are being done. They notice the patterns. All of a sudden, they're like, ugh, this, this is insulting to my intelligence. But then a few more years go by, and they have kids. And they want to provide their kids with um, similar happy moments that they remember as a child. And they remember having happy moments watching wrestling as a child. So then they get their kids watching it, and then they're watching it with their kids and then they're taking their kids to the show and they're buying them toys and they're probably in some cases trying to motivate their kids to be as excited about wrestling as they are. Um, so WWE has to make things digestible or understandable for kids. So John Cena is going to go out there and he's going to talk in a way that kids can understand what his motivation is. And that's going to come off as upsetting or Insulting to the intelligence of fans, uh, you know, like 16 plus who also don't have their own kids. And then they're going to sit there going, why does WWE do this? It's so stupid. It would be better if they would do this. Yeah, but then maybe they would lose some of their kid fans, right? And so there's a lot of like people who say like, oh, the average age of a WWE viewer is 50 plus or whatever, or like you know, 40 plus or 50, it's older people. I was like, yeah, but they're watching with their kids. A lot, a lot of them are watching with their kids. Not all of them, 
Some of them are just watching it because they've loved wrestling their whole life. And the idea of not following it anymore is just not going to register with them. And maybe they don't want to watch AEW for whatever reason. But I think a lot of them are kind of gravitating to AEW a little bit. But that's sort of my rant on WWE right now. What's working, what's not working. Raw, I mean, there can be no doubt. Raw's ratings are plummeting. SmackDown's not as much. And AEW and NXT are starting to to creep up a little bit back to their pre-pandemic level. But there's something with Raw. Or maybe they just don't have enough stars on there right now. Maybe what they're doing isn't registering with people. And it's not like they have stupid people running that show. Paul Heyman is the executive director of that show. And Paul Heyman has put together some of the best wrestling programs of all time. I just wonder if Raw is missing those stars that you need to bring in big ratings. Becky Lynch is gone. Brock Lesnar is gone. I don't know. But it seems like the most exciting things in WWE are happening on other brands. But I want to talk about AEW. Because I think AEW had a really great week, starting with Double or Nothing, the second, the second pay-per-view, the 2020's Double, Double or Nothing, which is trending to be the most purchased pay-per-view in AEW history. And there's a few, like UFC just did a pay-per-view, which did really, really well as, as well. So some people are trying to speculate a little bit as to, well, is this, is this pay-per-view business doing better now? Because, well, people aren't going out on Saturday nights because they got nowhere to go. And people aren't getting together to watch the pay-per-views because they're not allowed. So they're paying for it on their own and watching it on their own. Is that why pay-per-view is doing a little bit better? I think it, it's it's hard to know, um, you know, how much of the pay-per-view success was the matches that they put out there and how much was just the, the predicament that we all find ourselves in, right? All I know is that when they announced the stadium stampede match, I, there was no way I was going to miss the show. And I mean, I wouldn't have missed the show anyway, but... You know, say if I was a casual fan, I I can't see not wanting to see that match because you just knew what it was going to be. You knew it was going to be this 30 to 40 minute long movie, basically, about a wrestling match. And it was going to feature the guys from the elite and the guys from the inner circle. And we've been seeing those two factions for the last year in AEW. And everybody loves the elite. Everybody, I mean, they boo the inner circle, but... I mean, the bubbly bunch segments, the different things they've done. Uh, I mean, Chris Jericho is at the top of his game right now. Chris Jericho without WWE handcuffs on is possibly the most creative guy in pro wrestling history. And I don't know if I've ever thought about that until I just said it right now, but God, it feels that way. It feels like AEW has some of the most creative performers in wrestling history. I mean, you got Chris Jericho, Matt Hardy, the Young Bucks, Cody. I mean, they really feel like they're hitting their stride right now. And you know how wrestling journalists or sports journalists, 
Uh, I'm doing air quotes. You couldn't see it, but I was doing some very funny air quotes. Um, we're supposed to be unbiased. I will tell you right now that never happens. It's absolutely impossible. It is actually impossible to be unbiased. We all see things through our filters. We see things through a filter that is created through our past experiences, through people we interact with. We're never coming at something blind. You never come at anything completely blind in life or wrestling. I don't know which is more important, but you never come at anything completely blind. You always come into it at an angle. And from the angle that I'm coming from, AEW is my favorite promotion going right now. It just seems like it's the most fun. And nothing captured that more than I than the stadium stampede match. I think that was just... I mean, obviously we're in a unique time and these cinematic matches are this new thing that has been sprinkled onto pro wrestling. And WWE did the Boneyard match, and it was amazing. And they did the Firefly Funhouse match, and it was confusing, but I liked it. A lot of people just found it too confusing. This was, I mean, it was a wrestling match. It had some silliness, obviously. You know, Matt Hardy going into the Lake of Reincarnation, and and basically everything Matt Hardy uh, does now sort of test your your suspension of disbelief a little bit. But if you like Matt Hardy, getting to watch him without the WWE cuffs on is a big deal. And it's fun. And we've seen this Matt Hardy before. We saw this Matt Hardy in Impact for years. But seeing it in AEW on this bigger stage... Because let's be honest, I watch Impact every week. I, I, I like Impact. I almost said I love Impact, but I like Impact. And so, you know, um, I think Impact's really funny right now, but Impact's not a major league promotion. And, and even at the height of TNA, well, maybe at the height of TNA, it was a major league promotion, but it was still so far behind WWE that it was hard to, it was hard to see TNA really mattering. But now we see Matt Hardy in this environment where it does feel major league. It does feel like what happens in AEW impacts wrestling all over. And to see him do these things like he's he's shoved underwater and then he pops up and he's a different version of Matt Hardy and just everything that they did in that match, all the uh, hangman page riding a horse, chasing after Sammy Guevara, the various things they did with Sammy Guevara getting chased after that, after he was hit by the, the golf cart in the buildup to this match. I think AEW really hit a home run, not only with the stadium stampede match, but the whole pay-per-view and the whole buildup to the pay-per-view was great as well. When they did that, that Falls Count Anywhere street fight between the inner circle and the elite, and it ended up in the stadium. You know, that was really creative and unique as well, too. But then, then AEW took everything to a whole new level. What maybe we didn't know going into the stadium stampede match is that that would be the end 
of sort of a chapter for the inner circle and a chapter for the elite. Those two sides, they had their battle inside the stadium and now the inner circle is moving on to something else. And so they did this really funny thing where Santana and Ortiz told Chris Jericho they had bought more of those stadium stampede champions t-shirts, which by the way, you can get at prowrestlingtees.com. But then at the, the final segment, Chris Jericho comes out and says he's got a bone to pick with Mike Tyson for something that Mike Tyson did on a Monday night 10 years ago. And this goes back to an episode of Raw where Chris Jericho and Mike Tyson were a tag team. They were teaming up against Triple H and Shawn Michaels. Only Tyson turned on Jericho and he knocked him out and he aligned with DX. This was when Michaels and Triple H were sort of doing the PG version of DX. Which, if there's any ever anything which best illustrates the changes which happened in WWE from the Attitude Era to the modern era. Just look at the relaunch of DX and the PG version of DX. That sort of, that change. One felt gritty, real, and edgy. The other was silly and hokey with lots of bathroom humor. And I often compare it to the movie Major League. I don't know when Major League came out. I'm assuming in the 90s. But it was this awesome movie about baseball. It was rated R because it was had a lot of swearing and uh, I don't know. You may have seen boobs at some point. But uh, then the producers got this great idea. If we make this movie PG, then all these kids will come see it and we'll make even more money. But when you took Major League and you made a PG version of it, then the people who love the original Major League want nothing to do with it. So anyway... So Tyson joined the PG version of DX after briefly having been in the Attitude Era DX, knocked out Jericho. Now Jericho wants revenge for it. And then Dynamite goes off the air with a pull apart between Jericho and Mike Tyson. That was very, very reminiscent of the pull apart between Steve Austin and Mike Tyson before WrestleMania 14. Now, of course, the difference being, you know, um... Tyson was much younger <laughs> at, at WrestleMania 14. He was still boxing, although he was suspended at the time. And in fact, I think the, I could be wrong about this, but I remember hearing at the time, because Tyson was suspended, because I think that's when he had bit off Holyfield's ear, which now is going to be a factor for Holyfield if he's having problems uh, getting masks to fit on his face because of the ear that was bitten off by Mike Tyson. Actually, Mick Foley tweeted out that there's some solution for this because Foley's only got one ear. But um, so Tyson was suspended and the athletic commission said like he couldn't get in the ring. Like even though this was an entertainment ring, somehow they were able to prevent. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, so Dynamite goes off the air with this big angle between Tyson and Jericho. And now you have to say, okay, well, AEW's next pay-per-view, it's going to be in September, all out. Is it Jericho versus Tyson? And how does that do on pay-per-view? I think that would do quite well on pay-per-view. Now, Mike Tyson used to be the king of pay-per-view. 
He's 53 years old now. He's no longer the king of pay-per-view. But he does want to get back into boxing. Now, I don't know how much of Mike Tyson wanting to do a comeback fight has to do with him appearing in AEW. But he was on somebody's podcast. And he was saying he's going to give all the money that he makes for his comeback fight to charity. This isn't about money for Mike Tyson. And I doubt what he's doing with AEW is about money either. Mike Tyson is a longtime wrestling fan. And he is a passionate wrestling fan. When you hear Mike Tyson talk about wrestling, he loves it. Loves wrestling. And I imagine he's probably having the time of his life with this. And I I would imagine Chris Jericho is too, but I would imagine nobody's having a better time with it than Tony Khan. Because all of a sudden now, you've got Mike Tyson in an angle with Chris Jericho, and that's on ESPN. It's on all the sports channels. It's like Mike Tyson brings media with him, even now at 53 years of age. And he's getting a little bit more media because there's all this hullabaloo about Tyson coming back for a fight. And they're looking at opponents for him. I mean, he's 53. You know, should he be fighting? Should he be in a real fight at 53 years old? Probably not. But he's Mike Tyson. Who is going to say no to Mike Tyson? So it looks like that's now the big angle heading into the next pay-per-view. But we've also got this Fighter Fest show coming up for AEW, and there's no announced date for this. But last year, it was like around June. So I, I and like all they've really said is it's at some point this summer. But again, they, they don't know. Last year, this was the event that was held um, in conjunction with the CEO Fighting Game Championships, and they had like a convention or a festival. Um... I think a convention. I don't I don't know if it was a festival. Um, <laughs> Chris Jericho, you know, he's very familiar with festivals, the Festival of Friendship. Um, so now, I mean, they still plan on having the Fighter Fest event, but obviously it's not going to be in uh, collaboration with this fighting game championship thing. And they're still calling it Fighter Fest, which is a jab at the Fire Festival. Because when they came up with this idea last year, all those documentaries about the Fire Festival were out. And Tony Khan even said he can't see Fire Festival becoming an annual event because the joke will be old come next year. And in actual fact, the joke was old by the time they got to Fighter Fest last year. But anyway, I really hope that Fighter Fest continues to be an annual event in AEW. So that once a year, we can all be reminded about the Fire Festival and how funny that whole story is. Um, but that's taking place in June. I would doubt highly, although I don't know. Like, I don't know if Jericho and Tyson... Well, we don't even know if Jericho and Tyson are going to be wrestling, you know? But I would imagine if they're going to do some type of smoke and mirrors match with Mike Tyson, that you put that on pay-per-view. You don't, you know... And Fighter Fest, I think, is just going to be a free show. It might turn out just to be like a, like a Wednesday night show. Like they just brand some episode of Dynamite as Fighter Festival. But we've got two matches booked for that. John Moxley against Brian Cage. Oh, man, we never even got to talk about Brian Cage being managed by Taz. 
Taz cutting a promo on John Moxley this week on Dynamite after Brian Cage won the casino ladder match to earn a title shot against Moxley. That's going to happen at Fighter Fest. And man, the second Taz started opening his mouth, I thought, I want Taz to be a manager for the rest of his life. He's perfect for it. He's like, he's worked in broadcasting. So he just seen, you know, he, he was on commentary team for SmackDown forever and TNA forever. He does the commentary for AEW Dark. He used to cut like amazing promos. So he can talk really well, but he gets across like the story of the match really well. And also he's kind he's kind of short. So it makes the guy he's managing look really big. And you wonder if there's going to be some interaction between Brian Cage and Darby Allen because we saw Taz backstage uh, offering to help Darby Allen. Darby sort of shunning him a little bit. So maybe we'll get something with Brian Cage and Darby Allen as well. The best friends are going to get a tag team title shot at Fighter Fest uh, as well. Uh, Kenny Omega and Hangman Page will take on Jimmy Havoc and Kip Sabian next week. Yeah, Cody will take on Jungle Boy next week for the TNT title. Chris Jericho versus Colt Cabana and Big Swole versus Nyla Rose. That's all happening on Dynamite this week. So a lot of cool things happening in AEW leading to both Fighter Fest and um, All Out in September, which again is when Britt Baker is going to reappear after injuring her leg. And I thought Britt Baker cut a hilarious promo on AEW Dynamite this week. Uh, talking about how Chris Statlander being an alien is a crock of shit, how Aubrey Edwards conspired to to ensure that she got hurt in her match. A lot of funny stuff going on with Britt Baker. I can't, I, I'm just sad we're going to have to go a whole summer without Britt Baker. I hope they wheel her out in that wheelchair so she can keep cutting funny promos like this because Britt Baker is one of my favorite things in wrestling right now. But I think we're going to end it there uh, for this week. I think we covered everything that I wanted to talk about. Um, yes, we did. So the main things, everyone, wrestling fans, it's been a tough time for wrestling, as we mentioned. It's been a tough time in the world. And it's not just the global pandemic going on now. We've, you know, we're, we're dealing with some serious societal problems. And all we can worry about is what we're in control of, right? All we can do is be the best people that we can be. And I think for wrestling fans, something I really, really hope changes and I believe will change in the near future from this point on or from last week on uh, is that wrestling fans are going to be far more... um, their, their behavior towards celebrities and wrestlers on social media uh, is going to change. And we're all going to try and, uh, and treat each other with a little bit more respect. So thank you very much, everyone, for checking out Spoiler Free Wrestling. Uh, every day we've got the curated list of all the news going on in the world of pro wrestling with any potential spoilers on upcoming match results or angles or who's getting pushed, all that stuff will be omitted for you so that you can enjoy wrestling like you did before the dirt sheets. Thanks very much, everyone. I'm Ian Carey for Spoiler Free Wrestling.